about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Uh, and the second reading is from Ephesians 3, uh, 14 to 12, which is on page 1158. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Oh, good morning. It's just a delight to be able to look out this morning and see all you guys here. And wasn't that just brilliant what we heard as people shared of their lives and what God has been doing in them? It's really uh, gave me a sense that God has actually been at work amongst us. I'm not surprised by that. It's a great thing, but it's just delightful to hear that God has been work among, uh, amongst us over the last year. Let me pray as we come to God's word this morning. Father God, we give you thanks and praise for your goodness and kindness towards us. We thank you that you are so gracious and kind, and we pray that you would speak to us um, this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, transform our lives, help us serve you better. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, more than anything else in the world, more than a large property portfolio, more than a secure and advancing career, more than passing exams and getting degrees, more than perfect families, more than sculptured bodies and rippled muscles, more than comfort, more than control, and more than power, we need strength in our inner being. Strength in our inner being. And we get this sense when we come to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. You might like to turn that passage up as we look at it together this morning. Paul is writing to the Ephesian and he comes to the end of what many consider as the theological part or section of Ephesians. And he ends this theological section by praying for the Ephesians. And we want to think about what's at the heart of this passage. And one of the things that's at the heart of this passage is being strengthened in our inner being. And so this morning I want to think about why it's important to be strengthened in our inner being. What does it mean to be strengthened in our inner being? And how do we get strengthened in our inner being? Well, why is it important for us to be strengthened in our inner being? Well, one of the reasons is an outer reason, and the other reason is an inner reason. As we come to this prayer, we notice that Paul has been speaking about the Ephesian situation and particularly about his own context. Uh, If you see there in verse 13, he says, I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. At the time of writing, we believe that Paul is writing from Rome. He's in that first period of time where he's 
been shut away in, under house arrest, and as we saw through the series of Acts, he has lived quite a life of suffering. He has met many, many challenges. He's faced many, many difficulties along the way. And it would have been easy for him to become extremely discouraged. And his discouragement would have led on to the Ephesian church being discouraged because they saw him as someone who they loved. You might remember that beautiful scene of when he prays with the Ephesian leaders in Acts. There's obviously a deep bond here and his discouragement would therefore discourage the people in Ephesus. But he's saying, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings. What's also true to say, though, is that the Ephesian church was facing some significant difficulties as well. You might might remember at the founding of um, the Ephesian church, we hear of a silversmith who makes idols. And after a while, as people start turning to Christ they start losing money. And there are riots in the streets. Can you imagine that? Christians, people are becoming Christians, following Jesus. The whole economy is being turned upside down. People are rioting against the Christians and the Christian church continues on. They're going to need strength in their inner being to continue on. They're going to need strength to keep going in the face of significant opposition. Not only because there's possibilities for discouragement in their own lives as they face particular things in their own lives, but because as a part of a church, it can be extremely discouraging. Now, perhaps you've felt that a little bit, that sense of being discouraged as a Christian, as you talk with your friends, as you talk with your family, as you talk with your work colleagues, And sometimes as you think of us as a church, there can be great discouragement and a sense of suffering, those snide remarks that people make, the way people look at us or talk to you. It's important for us to be strengthened in our inner being, to hold on to our nerve, because the Christian life can be extremely challenging. It reminds me of uh, that movie, The Perfect Storm. I don't know whether you've seen it, but it's about fishing boats that go out into the Bering Strait. You can actually see real live ones as well. I've watched a a number of programs. And these guys go out into the seas in these little boats and they face extraordinary weather. But as you get to know them, they have a strength in their inner being. They not only have the skills, they are just determined to make it. No matter what the weather throws at them, they just keep going. Of course, the perfect storm didn't quite work out like that way. It was a pretty big disaster, in fact. But mainly, these guys persist. They go out into the weather. They keep sailing because they have a goal and a vision and they have strength in their inner being. We need strength in our inner being. Why do we need strength in our inner being? Because we personally face challenges, but also we face challenges as a church together, as we look out, as we gather together, as we represent 
who Jesus is. Now, as Paul continues to speak, he reminds us that we need strength in our inner beings because also we don't always get what we're told. You notice the inner bit, the inner being bit? We need strength in our inner being. It's very often the case that we can know things but them not be part of our inner being. Uh, We see this here in Ephesians, actually. Uh, Paul is praying that they would dwell in Christ, that they'd know the love of Christ, that they'd be filled to the full measure of God. Uh, Why is he praying this? Surely they know this. In fact, if you read through Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3, you know that they know this. He's just told them that those things are true. But why do they need to be prayed for then? Why do they need to hear this? Why does this need to happen in this particular way? Why is Paul praying that they might know something in their inner being that they already know? Well, I think often it's possible to know something intellectually, but not for it to sit in our inner being, to not really understand it at its depth. And that becomes really important because if it's not part of our inner life, it means we will be strengthened by other things. We will be strengthened by other things that we desire and our hearts won't be strengthened by God's spirit and pointing us to Christ. We've talked about this several different times. Um, Cramner has an anthropology or a way of looking at human beings that says what the, lo- what the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. Your inner being is your heart. And if your heart is not right, your will will be choosing things and your mind will be justifying it and your behaviour will follow in such a way that will lead you away from God. And that's why there's such a fight for your inner being. Because you need a heart directed towards God. Your desires will lead you elsewhere. They will lead your will in the wrong direction. They will lead your mind to justify your own behaviour. And they will lead your behaviour in a way that's inconsistent with what God has called us to. Over and over again, I see it in my own heart. Where my first love is not Jesus, my heart comes up with other desires. I start to choose different things. I can justify my behaviour and I behave in a way that is not consistent with what God has called me. And I want to suggest to you this move from understanding to really seeing things in the inner heart takes prayer and time. It was so interesting this week to um, stumble across again the story of Hudson Taylor, a remarkable man who went out to China Uh, many years ago. In fact, in 1853, he went at the age of 21 to the mission field. Really dedicated man, like so committed. Four of his kids ended up being missionaries uh, in the China Inland Mission. But listen to these words he writes to his mother. I continually mourn that I follow at such a distance and learn so slowly from my precious master. I cannot tell you how I'm buffeted buffeted sometimes by temptation. I never knew how bad my heart was. Yet I know that I love God 
and his work. I desire to serve him and him only. I value above all things that precious Saviour. May God help me love and serve him more. Now, it's so interesting because he's struggling there with his own heart. And he's saying, I'm following behind my master. I'm so tempted by so many other things that I, I get distracted. My heart keeps desiring to go elsewhere. But God answers his heart. Like a child realising for the first time that they're loved by their parent. Deeply and richly. And he puts it this particular way. In 1869, so this is many years later, he writes these words. We shall never forget the blessing we received through the words of John 5.14. Whoever so drinketh of the water, then he shall give him he shall never thirst. As we realize that Christ literally meant what he said, that shall meant shall, and never meant never, and thirst meant thirst, our hearts overflowed with joy as we accepted the gift. Oh, the joy that sprang forth from our seat, praising God that our thirsty days were over, both in the past, in the future, and forever. Sorry, in future, past, present, and in the future. At that moment, what's happening with Hudson Taylor is that the understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done has so enriched his heart that it's just broke forth in joy. He's just so excited. It's become part of his inner being. Prior to that, he he understood he followed Jesus. He was committed to Jesus. But something happened at that moment. And he was praying that God would so grab his heart and transform him and change him that his life would be so different. And God answered his prayer. And that's what Paul is doing as he prays for the Ephesians. He's asking that their hearts, their inner beings, will be captivated by Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be strengthened in our inner beings? Well, we see it outlaid there, and Paul uses a number of ways of describing uh, what it means to be strengthened in our inner beings. Uh, See there in verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Actually, you'll notice the Trinity mentioned as we read this. It's It's a wonderful piece to talk about the Trinity as well. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, and I pray out of his glorious riches. This strengthening comes out of God's glorious riches. You know how rich God is? He owns the whole universe. He's got everything in his hands. And it's out of his glorious riches, out of all that he's done through Jesus and all that he's done for us, that he wants to give us strength because we are weak. That he may strengthen us with power through the Spirit in our inner being. So that, and notice the so that, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ might be the centre of who you are. That Christ may be the person that you worship most of all above everything else. 
that Christ would simply dwell in you. And that being rooted and established in love, uh, the picture here is of a tree. Um, In fact, I think probably a fig tree, not the same one as we've got out here, although that's a pretty good picture. And the idea, of course, is the roots provide grounding, as the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 1. They provide a deep sense of gathering water, of making sure the strengthening is happening. And what is happening here? We are told that we are being rooted and established in love. Whose love? Jesus' love. God's love for us in Christ. That's what we're being rooted in and established in. So that we may have power together with all of God's holy people. What to do? This is how this inner being works. To grasp how wide, how long and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. That we might be filled with the fullness, to the measure of the fullness of God. It's this dwelling on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. It's being established and rooted in him. It's grasping his love for us that means that we are strengthened in our inner being. And in some ways, I want to come back to the same point I made before about knowing and really understanding. Because so often I find in myself and as I talk with people, there's this moment where we kind of understand but we don't really know it's not sunk deep Jonathan Edwards puts it like this there's a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and a sense of his loveliness beautiness holiness and grace there's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a real sense of its sweetness. You may have a sense of the former, but you only know what honey tastes like and what it really is when you taste it. It's only then you have a sense of its beauty. Before you only have a kind of hearsay that honey is beautiful and sweet and wonderful to taste. There's a great difference between speculating on who Jesus is and knowing how excellent he is. The former rests only in the head, but the heart is concerned with the latter. When the heart is sensible of the beauty and amiableness of a thing, it necessarily fills its pleasure with great apprehension. And so, of course, here again is that theme of joy and that wonder of what God has done, that the soul, the inner person, has been reached by the love of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to ask you, therefore, if that's um, how we start to think about Um, this in our own lives, the why and the what, how does that actually work out? And as we think about next year and as we start to lift our heads, I guess, over the hump of Christmas, like look beyond that and start start to plan for those kinds of things, what does it mean for us to be strengthened in our inner being next year or even this year? But let's think about 
next year? How do, how do we go about being strengthened in our inner being? Well, it's interesting to see the pattern that is here in Ephesians chapter 3. As Paul begins his passage, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Now what's so significant about that picture is that most often when Jewish people prayed, they prayed like this. But this moment of kneeling before the Father, not only kneels before him and recognises that this is an important moment, but it's also a sign of obedience. It's a sign of submitting to the Father of saying, I come before you and I submit to you. I submit to your lordship. I submit to your rule. Because unless we're doing that, how can God enrich us and understand, how can we understand the richness of God's love unless we're willing to submit ourselves completely to him? How is it possible that our inner lives can grow unless we stop and say, actually, I come before you, Lord, and I submit myself to you. I give you everything. I will stop doing the things that I'm doing that lead me astray in order to follow you. Sometimes come across people who come and talk to me about various things that they're engaged in, whether it be things in terms of the way they use their money or the way they use their sexuality or the way they use their power or the way they use their anger. And they're desperate for God to work in their lives. But they haven't stopped to say, I submit myself to God. I choose to be obedient. I choose to follow God. I choose to follow his call. I am weak. I cannot do it well. But I submit and kneel before the Father. What's also evident as in, in the ways that Paul approaches this prayer is that this prayer as he kneels down before the Lord is this is a sustained prayer, a seeking prayer. This is not a just a quick, can you find me the car park place? Can you sort out uh, my accommodation for the end of the year. No, this is a sustained desire for an inner work of God in people's lives. And I guess as I read this, I was really rebuked myself and, and thought about how many times am I actually praying for the people around me that their lives would grow in this way, that their inner life would grow and be strengthened. And for me, that's a sign of God at work within our lives. When we start focusing on other people and praying that God's richness and God's blessing and God's love would so overwhelm them that their whole inner lives would be strengthened. What I also find interesting is it's not only a sustained prayer by individuals. Um, Paul says here, I pray that rooted and established in love, you may have the power to go with all the Lord's holy people. We saw beautifully up here today what it means to come together as God's people, to meet with other Christians, to let them speak into your life, to let them 
say things into your life, to point you back to Jesus, to open up and to say, actually, I haven't got it all together. I need your prayers because I desperately need Jesus. I hope and I pray that as you look into next year, your plan is to grow your inner life. Being pointed to Jesus, dwelling on Christ by meeting together with other people, by making it a priority in your attendance on Sundays, in your small groups, in the way you meet with people for prayer. That it comes to the top of the list, not the end of the list. That it becomes something where you determine that you will meet with God's people in order that your inner life be strengthened. Paul also uses this word as he thinks about how we can get this inner life, this inner life that is dwelling on Christ. He uses this word grasp. And it's, it's kind of an interesting word because it's kind of like wrestle, take. Um, it's, it's, it's hard work. It's a picture of someone wrestling within their soul, I think. Someone actually saying, no, no, I'm going to commit to this. Now, I found this to be true for myself, and I just want to share with you how God's been doing that with me. Um, As many of you will know, about 18 months ago, my parents both died. And I was praying about that and praying how I could press into God in the midst of those circumstances and how I could continue to grasp the love of God in the midst of all of that. Because my heart needed to hear that. And so it's, it's just been amazing. God gave me this little beginning to the prayer, a prayer. And if you've heard me pray lately, I'll often say it this way. Dear God, you're good and gracious, and you are so kind towards us, particularly in the death of your son. Now, those weren't my words. I didn't suddenly think them up. But every time I've prayed those words into my heart, it's helped me grasp the love of God. God, you're a good and gracious God. You are so kind towards us. And that's been so sustaining for God to work in my life like that. To encourage me, to help me grasp his love. And finally, just to comment on what Paul says about dwelling on the love of God. Notice how he dwells on the love of God. He talks about grasping how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. How wide is the love of Christ? Well, as Ephesians has been unpacked, we see it's wide enough that it includes all people from all kinds of different nations and peoples. It's a wide love. It's an inclusive love. How long is God's love? Well, in the beginning of Ephesians, we we read... He chose us before the creation of the world to be blameless in his sight. That's how long God's love is. For the creation of the world and into the future. How high is God's love? Well, Ephesians again tells us that we have been raised with Christ, that we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. We are high with Christ. And finally, the depth of Christ as we see Christ on the cross go into the depths of hell on our behalf. That is how wide, high, uh, deep 
and long is the love of Christ. And as we meditate on those things, as we meditate on God's love, our inner life will be transformed. Do you want an inner life that is transformed? Well, dwell on those things. Make a commitment to meet with God's people. Make a commitment to pray that God would speak to you by his spirit and through his word. Ask that your heart will be so captivated by his love that he will be the first one you consider in everything that you do. And let me finish with these words uh, from the end of the prayer. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to the power that has worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus, Christ Jesus throughout generations forever and ever. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.